0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Happy belated Thanksgiving and happy Advent. It's good to see you all this morning. I don't know about you, but when I walked into the sanctuary this morning and I saw the Christmas wreaths, the poinsettias, the, the garland in the back, I thought to myself, how can this be? It's still July, isn't it? It's still it's still fall, I've, I've just lost all track of time. It seems like here we are, it's Advent, and yet it still feels like Groundhog Day after a sense. But here we are, and isn't it wonderful that, that we've had a, a weekend to celebrate our, the gifts of God, our thanksgivings together, and now we get to prepare ourselves, we get to prepare our hearts for Christmas through this season of Advent. And we're gonna start that today, not just by giving us a little bit of context, For the Christmas story, but we're going to get a lot of context for the Christmas story by going all the way back to the beginning of the Christmas story. Now you may think that I'm talking about the early chapters of Matthew or maybe even the prophets, but no, we're going all the way back to Genesis chapter three. So if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter three, the very beginning of the Christmas story. Beginning in the eighth verse. And they, that is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, "Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat?" The man said, "The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate." And then the Lord God said to the woman, "What is this that you've done?" And the woman said, "The serpent deceived me, and I ate." The Lord God said to the serpent. And the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask, O Lord, that at the beginning of this Advent season that you would speak in ways that perhaps we will hear in new ways. That you would give us ears to hear your truth and the promise of your Messiah. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for it is in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Christmas comes every year. That's right, Christmas comes every year, good years or bad years, normal years or crazy years. And that's a good thing because 2020 has become synonymous with crazy. But you know what, we're not the first generation to deal with a crazy year and a crazy Christmas. I mean, how do you celebrate Christmas in a year like 2020? Well, let's think back to history for a moment. What was Christmas like during the years of World War II? Historian and author Sarah Sundin has written that during World War II, Americans at home and abroad did their best to celebrate Christmas. Wartime separations and deprivations, however, made the festivities even more poignant and more bittersweet. Gift-giving presented unique challenges during World War II. Many consumer items were were not manufactured due to shortages of raw materials or conversions of factories for military use. The hardest of all things to get were toys because of the limitations on rubber and metals. Christmas dinners weren't quite as elaborate as they had been before the war. The rationing of sugar and butter meant fewer sweets. Meat, including ham, was rationed. Holiday travel to visit family and friends had to be curtailed during the war. Gasoline was rationed and civilians were discouraged from train travel to free the rail system to move troops back and forth across the country. Christmas trees were harder to obtain due to labor shortages and shipping priorities, but they were still available in some communities. But most of all, families on the U.S. home front had to deal with the painful separations of sons and daughters, husbands and fathers, wives and mothers who were away from one another. And the holiday season seemed to highlight this pain. Now, in this season of pandemic, do shortages, do separations, do any of those things sound remotely familiar Is this going to be a Christmas like the one that you had last year or perhaps like others in the past? The point is, is that there have been crazy years, and yet in each of those years, Christmas has been celebrated. Sundin concludes that celebrating Christmas in World War II required ingenuity and flexibility, and that Americans at home and abroad set aside their troubles to commemorate Christ's birth. Now, I don't know about you. But in 2020, I need Christmas more than ever. And I need Christmas because Christmas is the message of hope in crazy times. It's the promise of Messiah, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us. And whether the crisis is global, like a war or a pandemic, or whether it's much more personal, like a tragedy or a death of someone that we love, Christmas comes every year and you know what? That's a good thing because we need Christmas. Right now, we need Christmas emotionally, psychologically. We need Christmas economically. We need Christmas communally. I mean, think about it, Christmas is a time when people are just more thoughtful to and about their neighbors. But most of all, we need Christmas spiritually and theologically. We'll say more about that in a moment. But in good years or bad years, we need Christmas because the essential good news message of Christmas is a message to us that comes to us in our highest highs and in our lowest lows because the message of Christmas, the promise of Christmas is that God is Emmanuel, that he was here with us, that he is with us, and that he will be with us again. The heart of the Christmas story and the heart of the gospel itself is the promise of the coming of a Savior, the Messiah, the Holy One who will restore our lives and who will restore our world for the glory of the Lord. And that's why in December of 2020, we need to understand that the brightest promises of Messiah have come in the darkest moments of history. The Bible tells us that the promises of Messiah did not come in peaceful, easy times. They came rather in times of deep distress and trouble. As we move toward Christmas, we're going to be talking about God's promises of Messiah that came in the darkest moments of God's people. Now, the most familiar promises of Messiah came from the prophets when the people of Israel had, their last, uh, had lost their way and were overrun by the Assyrians and then were taken captive into exile in Babylon. Remember these words, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those were words that came to comfort the people during their exile. The promise of Messiah came again while the people of God were under the heel of Roman occupation. The messenger of God, the angel Gabriel, came to Mary and said, do not be afraid, Mary, The first promise of Christmas came in humanity's first and darkest moment. At the moment of humanity's greatest calamity. The first promise of Christmas is almost as old as creation itself. The first promise of Messiah came immediately after the expulsion from the Garden of Eden, when the Lord told the serpent, that a child would be born who shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis three fifteen. The creation story of Genesis, chapters 1 and 2, tells us that God made us. He made us in his own image. He made us man and woman, distinguishing humanity from every other beast, bird, insect, and sea creature of the world, and then he pronounced them good. And Adam and Eve were then invited to enjoy all that the Garden of Eden had to offer, except for one thing. God told them, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Enter the serpent. His desire was to destroy God's creation and kill God's children. And out of his hatred and resentment for God, Satan did two things. First, he lied to Adam and Eve. And second, he manipulated their love for God to turn them against their father and their creator. First, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. But then he manipulated her in a more subtle way. Listen to what he says. He says, you will be like God. Satan told Adam and Eve that they could be like God, in effect, that they could be little gods, that they could themselves be God. And so they ate. And no, they did not die immediately. They didn't have the benefit of dying quickly, painlessly. Instead, they became mortal. And death entered their lives like cancer that kills slowly as they began the long gray road of decay and death. But neither did they become like God, except that they who had never known anything but goodness and perfection could now know darkness and pain as well. You know, this is the Hebrew version of the story of Icarus, the boy who made wings but flew too close to the sun in pursuit of the forbidden They set out their own destruction. Up till now, they'd only tasted good. But after they had eaten the forbidden fruit, they could finally taste evil. And So Adam and Eve got what they wanted. They got an awareness of good and evil. And sadly, the first evil they knew was their own shame. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. God's children had broken his rules, and now they were hurt. They were hurt because they had been happy, but now they were afraid. Where they had been confident, now they were ashamed where they had been close to God, now they were estranged. And God said to Eve, here's the curse that you've brought upon yourself. From this point on, the bearing of children will not only be painful, it will be dangerous, possibly fatal. And in addition to that, from this point on, you will be subject, you will be under the rule of men. And then God said to Adam, here's the curse that you brought on yourself. You will face the hostility of the earth itself from danger, from natural disaster, from weather, from plague to beasts. You will struggle with other men from murder to war to competition. It's not just the beasts of the field, it's the beasts of your own making. And the struggle for survival will be on you every day. No longer will the earth simply provide or supply what you need to live, but you're gonna have to struggle for every morsel of food, every resource to survive and to feed your family. And it's going to be a constant battle to grow, to mine, to extract what you need to survive. Every day will be a battle for survival. And then God laid upon humanity its greatest curse. You will be expelled from the garden you will no longer walk with the Lord in the cool of the evening. You can no longer see him face to face. Oh yes, you will know good and evil. And the first evil that you will know is your own sin and shame. And yes, you will know God and you will fear him. But then the Lord turned to the serpent And the Lord cursed the serpent with these words. Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. This was creation's darkest moment. This was humanity's darkest moment. But listen to this, the brightest promises of Messiah come in the darkest moments of history. In the shadow of this calamity, with the birth of sin and fall still fresh in the world, the Lord made a promise. Because the Lord also said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The Lord told Satan not only that he was cursed, but that one day the child of the woman would avenge the primordial crime against humanity and God's creation order, that his relationship with his children would be restored, and one day a Savior would come. This is the first promise of Messiah. And look at this. The promise of Christmas is not just that God will send a Savior, but that the Savior will be the child or a descendant of the woman. That the child will be her offspring. And what that means is that through man, through the child, God will will recreate humanity you see god had not abandoned humanity through humanity god would restore humanity and when god created man he said let us make him in our own image and when he created him he said it is good Humanity was created in the image of God, but after the fall, the perfect image of God was something humanity would not see again until the birth of Jesus Christ. In the birth, in the life, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God shows us what man was supposed to be from the very beginning. And he shows us what man is is supposed to be in his creation. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the new Adam. And in Colossians, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Just as the Roman at the foot of the cross declared, truly, this man was the son of God. But Jesus is also the exemplar of true humanity. That means that he is what we were created to be. He is what God wants us to be, what we're supposed to be. He is everything that humanity was created to be, and so much more. The image of God, first displayed in Adam and Eve, is restored and perfected in the incarnation because Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And in the Christmas story, the child of Eve is revealed as the son of Mary. But in the curse, God says that although the child of Eve will crush the head of the serpent, he will himself be bruised. Satan's not gonna go down without a fight. And Isaiah tells us that the child of Eve, God's Messiah, will suffer on our behalf. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was this chastisement that brought us peace. But he also says that with his wounds, we are healed. The Bible says that for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. This, too, is a sign of God's sovereignty and authority. Because God would take this bruising, this most brutal injustice ever committed, and he would use the crucifixion as a demonstration of his affection for us the suffering of the new Adam for humanity will become the greatest proof of God's amazing affection and greatest witness of God's love for us. The Apostle Paul wrote, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree i want you to think about the two trees that connect these stories the two trees of adam and jesus the bitter fruit of adam's tree of the knowledge of good and evil versus the life-giving fruit of the tree of jesus christ the cross the old tree made the old man the new tree the cross makes the new one the first was the tree of the first rebellion the second was the tree of sacrificial obedience man fell into sin and death because of adam's selfish indulgence but humanity is restored by christ's selfless sacrifice In the first man, we see the image of God in pristine perfection. But in the new man, we learn to see the Father represented by sacrificial, selfless selfless love in the Son, in his love for God, and his love for us. Even in the darkest moment of human history, God gave his people a promise of hope, the promise of Messiah. And Christmas is a reminder that God is still in charge and that God is still in control. And so in the next few weeks, as we approach Christmas, we will see how God promised Messiah in crazy times, in exile, in in occupation, in expulsion. And the Lord not only promised that Messiah would come, but he promised his people that he would come again. When the followers of Jesus were under fierce persecution in the Roman Empire, the Lord once again promised the apostle John that the Messiah would come Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, God made a promise. He said, I'm coming back. And the promise of Advent is that the God who kept his promises in the past will keep his promises in the future. God promised Messiah in crazy times. And if the Lord fulfilled his promises in the past, we can trust that he will keep his promises of Messiah, of Emmanuel, of God with us. Not only in the future, but even in this pandemic. We are in crazy times. And God has promised that Christ will come again at the moment that we need him most. When Christ has won his victory over sin and death, he will come, that is what he did the first time. But the Bible tells us that while Christ has won his victory over sin and death, the Bible tells us also that he will come again to claim his bride, to claim the church, and to restore creation. And so God has given us his promise of Messiah to empower, to encourage, and to embolden us. And so Christmas, Advent, especially in 2020, is not a time for sappy sentimentality. This is a time for us to claim the promises of God, that Christ has come, and Christ will come again. The promises of Christ, the brightest promises of Messiah, have come in the darkest moments of history, when the world is at its most crazy. And when the world is at its most crazy, Advent reminds us that the Messiah has come, and that he will come again. It reminds us that even when the world is at its most chaotic, God is still in control. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, today we have come to celebrate Advent and to declare that we believe with your church that your promises of Messiah given in the darkest moments of our history our promises that continue today. For surely as you have come, you will come again. Just as you announced your coming, your son's coming, in the darkest moment of the human fall, we know that we can trust in your love, your control, your providence, and your return, even in a crazy season like 2020. And so, Lord, we ask that you would awaken us to that truth, to that hope, and to that confidence so that we may proclaim your truth and show forth your love, especially during this season of Advent and Christmas. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We gather at this table at the beginning of Advent to once again stand with the church, not only today, but in every year not only here in this place, but around the world in every place, to declare that just as Christ has come, Christ will come again. God made the promise of Messiah. And Jesus Christ sealed that promise with his own body and with his own blood. He invited his disciples to this table so that they would know that God's promises to us and God's love for us are as real as his body broken and his blood poured out, as real as this bread and this cup that we enjoy together. Just as God promised that Messiah would come, so our Lord Jesus Christ promises that though he died, yes, he will live, and yes, he will come again. And so, in this moment of pandemic, in this moment of disorder, in this moment of chaos, we come to this table to remember, just as Christ told us, that God loves us, and he has given himself, that he has given his son body and blood to prove the extent of his love, and that he has raised his son, Jesus Christ, to show that he has the power not only to make a difference in our lives, but in all of history. And so we gather around this table because we are in a time of crisis, not simply as a people or as a country or as a world, but individually in crisis as well, through loss, through sickness, for whatever reason. And we need to be reminded that God's love for us is as real as the bread that we put in our mouth and the cup that we bring to our lips. We need to remember that his love for us was demonstrated in his own body and his own blood. And that's why he calls us to this table to remind us during this Advent season, during every dark moment of history, that our God is still in control, that he is God with us, Emmanuel, that he was with us, that he is with us, and that he will be with us again. And so we join as his church to declare the promise of God and to declare our faith in the one who makes that promise. And so this is the joyful feast of the people of God scripture tells us that they would come from east and west and north and south to sit at table in the kingdom we come to this table not because we must but because we may we come to this table not because we're worthy but because we are invited and we are invited because of god's great love for us demonstrated through the life the death the resurrection of his son and so we invite you to come to this table. All who declare that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior and all who are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and who follow him as his disciple, you are all invited to come to this table and partake of this feast that you may be reminded that the God who came will come again. Would you join us together in prayer?
1: Holy God, what a gift it is to worship you as your body, the church, today. Today we have hope. Even in the darkness and pain of 2020, we have an everlasting hope in your promise. From the beginning of time, you had a plan in place to dwell among us through your son, Jesus Christ, and offer him as a sacrifice for our sin. Today, as we gaze upon the flame of the Advent candle, we ask that you would ignite in us this Advent season the holy expectation as we await the coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Every every year, we look forward to the celebration of the birth of Christ, but this year particularly, we cling to the hope that comes with Jesus as a reminder of your deep and abiding love for each of us. The Prince of Peace is coming, and God, do we ever need your peace? You came to be with us, Emmanuel, God with us, and we, along with the angels, declare the good news that will cause great joy found in Jesus. God, as we prepare to come to your table today, we bow before you in humility. We ask that you examine our hearts today. Show us anything that isn't pleasing to you. Free us from those burdens that separate us from you. Let us confess those things and come to receive your grace and nourishment at the table. Today, we remember the extraordinary sacrifice you made in sending Jesus, your beloved son, to be with us. We thank you for his life, and sacrificial death on the cross. We know that Jesus is physically present at your right hand, but he is spiritually present at this table. Thank you for your abiding presence with us. Let these ordinary elements of bread and cup remind us of the sacrifice that your son made for our forgiveness. Let us be reminded that Jesus conquered death so that we might have life and life abundantly. Let us give thanks for reconciliation with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and let us take this example that Christ has given us and learn to love one another the way that Christ has loved us. Lord, as we take this bread, we remember that you are the bread of life. You feed our souls, you nourish our hearts, and you give us sustenance to run the race before us. And as we take this cup today, We remember the painful pouring out of your blood so that we might be saved. We remember that you are the giver of life. You are are forgiveness and you bring deep peace to our souls as your love flows within us. As we receive these gifts today, let your Holy Spirit move within us to nurture us so that we can continue on this journey of following you with renewed energy and faith. Remind us through this Advent season that this gift of new life in Jesus Christ can be shared with the world and that you are equipping us and sending us out to invite others to enjoy this everlasting life. It is in your Son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.
0: As a sign and seal of God's covenant promises, in our brightest, in our darkest moments, Jesus Christ gives us this bright sign. And he gathered his disciples together around the table. And he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat, and do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, our Lord took the cup and he said, This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink you all of it, and do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And beloved, he will come again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come, for the table is prepared, and he is calling for you.